As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Real Madrid are European champions, but the lasting image from this year's UEFA Champions League final might be the throngs of fans that were caught outside, tear-gassed, and occasionally caught in a crush. The Athletics' Dan Bardell leads the show today, speaking with Adam Crafton and Ollie Kay about the scene at the Stade de France. But first, we'll hear from two fans that were caught up in the trouble outside. From The Athletic, I'm Alex Abnos, and this is Soccer Every Day for Thursday, June 2nd. Peter Clarkson, um, been watching Liverpool for 20 years. Uh, fifth European Cup final, and that was just the worst. It's most scared I've ever been in my life. Got off the train about half six. Finally got in the ground about five to nine. But we got, uh, followed the crowd uh, from the train station stuck for 20 minutes waiting no no explanation then funneled between two police vans uh just no organization no signposting saw mike gordon he said it was appalling um pleading with police to help finally got through that with about an hour to go before kickoff uh after a mini crush as well and then the turnstiles were just horrific um locals trying to push in um they were like disneyland turnstiles as well Finally got to the turnstile. My genuine ticket turned red, and they just sort of ushered me through. My friend had to crawl underneath them, um, and to be honest, got in the ground. I just wanted to cry. To be honest, really, really bad. Um, I'm just glad it's over. The game was an afterthought. My name's Carl Clementi. Um, been supporting Liverpool, um, going to games around England, Anfield, obviously, and um, Europe for around 20, 22 years now. Last night, I've never seen anything like it. It's going to make me think twice um, going to these events again. Basically, it was the first time I took my son, nine years old. During the day, we went to the UEFA park, the Liverpool fan park, everything was okay. And then we went to the grounds um, about five o'clock. I was with my lads, so I thought um, we'd have to get in there early. After the game, uh, as we were walking towards an old hotel, there was, um, first of all, uh, a disturbance and the disturbance was wasn't to do with Madrid fans and wasn't to do with Liverpool fans what I saw was groups of um, young lads from Paris 
they were um, having a go at the police and charging the police. There was about two or three groups, around 20 or 30 of them, and they were the ones who were causing trouble. They were um, throwing things at the police and then the police charged and throwing pepper bombs and pepper sprays and obviously we were got caught up in that. And then there was another surge of these um, local Paris lads at the police and then the police came at us again um, and they actually threw a, pe a pepper spray bomb or whatever it was and it actually hit my ankle. So I like jumped up and um, fell up, threw myself to the floor right in front of my lads who was, you know, as I said, it was like a war zone, so it couldn't, could it be a grenade or anything like so? Just have this vision of it coming to me and it just exploded, and I just like fell over and hit the deck, and um, my lad was in tears, and then he couldn't breathe and properly, and he had really sore eyes, we couldn't see, and he was just really upset. I mean, for a nine-year-old, I mean, I wasn't bothered for me, but for a nine-year-old, couldn't breathe, he couldn't see, he was crying. Adam, some powerful testimonies there. Yeah, I mean, just kind of just a reflection of everything that we started to hear, both you know on the radio last night and also just following it on social media from home. Uh, and it was really interesting because you're following the game. You know, I was watching it on BT Sport, and there was obviously we knew the match was being delayed, and then you start to see things on on social media as well. And then the official announcement from whether it was UEFA or the stadium authorities said the match has been delayed due to the late travel of fans. And that's where straight away, yeah. it just it just didn't add up because you were seeing all these different testimonies of supporters that were there, you know, two hours, three hours, in some cases more. And not just supporters, it was journalists, it was neutral journalists, it was... It yeah, was reputable accounts, wasn't it? Because was I think it's, 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 exactly. it's important it to say at this was, point that there was a lot of like big football troll accounts, whatever they're called, just spreading misinformation at that time. But also there's a lot of reputable journalists, a lot of reputable people saying that isn't what's happening at all here. Absolutely. And and, and it just straight away, your sort of instincts were, this isn't right. This is not right. And it then goes from being 15 minutes to I think 30 minutes in the end. What did the game start at? 36 Something past, like that, yeah. I think was... Was, was when the game actually started. It's scary because, you know, people, to strip this back, people go to these finals to have the greatest night of their lives, whether their teams win or they lose, whatever, right? They're going with their children, with their dads, with their siblings, friends, and they just want to create nice memories. And unfortunately, they've left today almost grateful that they've not been severely injured or worse. And it's, a, it's an absolutely dismal situation that's been created there by the organisers of that event and there'll be a lot of uh, finger pointing over the next few weeks and months about is that the stadium authorities which would perhaps you know bring in the French Football Federation was it the policing was it the city you know the local authorities in the city is it the French government as well UEFA could British police have done more in, in helping to assist you know all of these questions will be asked and and unfortunately, it's pattern now. It is a trend over the past year at major, major football events. We saw it at Wembley uh, last year with the Euro 2020 final. The African Cup of Nations, which, you know, not many people were talking about that last night, but people died in Cameroon um, when one of, the, one of the entrances to the stadium at the final had a crush. And, and now you've had events last night. And each of these situations are very, very different. I don't think you can actually compare at all 
the behaviour of Liverpool fans in Paris to the behaviour of some England fans before the Euro 2020 final. That would be completely wrong. But I feel like, you know, I was recently talking to some of the organisers of the Qatar World Cup. I was saying to them, look, there's been these two events in both Cameroon and, and Wembley. Are, are you a bit worried about the logistics of organising football fans, potentially football fans who may have drunk a bit, who may be up for a party at a World Cup? And they were, and, and they were said, yeah, we're looking into it. And I do feel like, you know, we, ha- we can't treat these events as sole one-offs. They have to be events that the next organisers are looking at and saying, what can we learn from this? What was done at this event that we need to not do and what wasn't done, ev- done at this event that we have to do? Uh, and it's a major concern. Well, the worrying thing is those places are, you know, yeah. Paris, London, Wembley. They're places that are used to holding these big events, yeah. whereas we go to Qatar. The other side of that is you'll probably have, you know, you'll have less, you, you'll kind of have more people there than, than Qatar would normally have because it's the World Cup. But you also won't have, you know, like it was for Wembley last year where you have so many thousands of people coming and there were ticketless fans at Wembley last, you know, last year trying to get into that yeah. stadium. So I think it's different, it's different challenges in each one. And actually, you know, also speaking to some Rangers fans today who went out to Seville for their final against Frankfurt and they were also talking about how they felt mistreated by the police. So... It's a, it's a real issue that, that's developing. I mean, the relief is that, you know, no one seems to have been really, really seriously injured, but clearly people have suffered injuries from pepper spray and being part of a major congestion. But, you know, obviously we weren't there. Um, Ollie, Ollie Kay was, and he's with us. Ollie, yeah, you were covering the game for The Athletic. And I think in a lot of ways, the game was almost secondary to a lot of Liverpool fans that were there because of the way they were treated be- before the match started. From what those testimonies said, was that kind of typical of what, what you were seeing in, on your trip? Yeah, I got to the um, Stade de France station 6.30pm local time, it was two and a half hours before kickoff. Um, immediately tried to make my way to the stadium, which is sort of 10 minutes walk away. Should have been 10 minutes walk away, um, but it was, you know, after, after the first sort of 500 metres or, or so, we just couldn't move. It was just a bottleneck and we were just stood in this very, very tight area. That's a long time before kickoff as well, isn't it? So I can imagine it, you got progressively it is, worse. It is, and, and And there were loads of people already already there. There were, you know, two and a half hours before kickoff is, you know, that's that's fine for a journalist to, mm. to arrive. It's early for, it's early if you're, if you're fans and you try to get into the stadium. Um, and, there were th- and there were thousands of fans trying to get into the stadium at that point, and it was just not possible because the, you know they weren't letting people through, and they were they were funneling people towards this tiny space between a load of police vans and a wall, which was under the you know it, it was under the um, the underpass uh, going alongside the carriageway, and it was it was it was a bizarre arrangement to have, it, you know, it was bizarre, and dangerous, dangerous thing because it, it completely. You know, it created a, a bottleneck and it, it made it impossible to pass through. And I think, as, as Adam said, there were fans there who, who didn't have tickets. There were fans who were there who were hoping to get tickets. You know, I'm sure there were also fans who were hoping to get, you know, bunk in. I think that also always seems to happen with these big events where there's very limited allegations and, you know, there's an absolute desperation to get in. But we're talking... Small numbers, yeah. really small numbers. That that's not what caused the thing. And there should be, 
a way of stopping those fans getting anywhere near the stadium. When when we talk about fans, you know, Rangers fans last week travelling to Seville and Frankfurt fans travelling to Seville without tickets, Liverpool fans travelling to, to Paris without tickets, that is that behaviour is encouraged. They have fan parks in these cities. They, they make a big deal of having fan parks and fans fans go knowing that there's a very, very slim chance that they might stumble on a, you know, stumble on a ticket that happens and and fans do travel without tickets it's it's legitimate watching in a fan park in paris should have been a great experience yeah but i don't think he, i mean I, I imagine well from what i'm told the fact you know the fan park was a really good experience until pepper spray was inexplicably um played um f- fired or sprayed at them um after the final whistle i think it was and it, it was just, I, I just found it really disturbing, disheartening, because as Adam mentioned, there were some parallels with the, the England fans at Wembley at the Euros final last summer, in that there was issue with, with fans there who didn't have tickets. There was issues there with disorganisation. But I was, at, I was at Wembley last July, and I was there as a, as a, as a, as a paying fan rather than as a journalist. And the atmosphere outside, I thought was really... It was a real kind of toxic atmosphere. It really, sort of felt like a sort of really an atmosphere that that was that was turning darker by the by the hour, basically. Yeah, like there was people there looking for trouble, wasn't there? But it, it didn't look like that in Paris. I've got to say, I I know there are fans of rival clubs who are who are objecting to this sort of sympathy that's being expressed with Liverpool fans who are in Paris. But I, given what I saw, and this is before it really escalated, but the, the way people were being penned in a really con- confined area and not being allowed through and mistreated and sneered at and, and all of this kind of thing, I'm surprised there, was, there wasn't more tension and agitation at that point. And looking at some of the scenes that I've seen, you know, the, the videos that I've seen and the, the way trans fans were treated, I'm surprised there wasn't, there wasn't a riot. I think, I think Liverpool fans deserve some praise for not reacting worse to to what I saw as appalling policing, appalling mismanagement. And, and that, that pepper spray issue, I think, was just a complete disgrace. And one other thing I would mention is that the only, the only real trouble and agitation I saw outside the stadium before I finally got in was with locals. It was, it was two, two little flare-ups, one, one of which was a... Uh, you know, a local trying to try, trying to pickpocket another local, and and the other was um, and, and getting um, and getting uh, a kicking for it, and and the other was you know two locals scrapping in the in the street. The Liverpool fans, the Real Madrid fans, seem to behave themselves incredibly well in a, a situation where you know the French authorities just seem to lose control completely. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, Everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard it right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask me. 
Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Ollie, I just want to focus a little bit on the response of you know both UEFA and and the, both the French police and the French government um, because there were statements last night from the French interior minister, also uh, the French sports minister, who were both in the control room at the stadium. And they put out statements late last night basically accusing, well, say basically accusing English football supporters of attempting you know, to break into the stadium, attempting ticket fraud, heavily praising the police you know, for restoring order to the situation. UEFA as well, they initially blamed the late kickoff on the late arrival of fans. That story then changed post-match to it being down to, um, again, that, that argument of fake tickets blocking the route of those with legitimate tickets. Did you see anyone being stopped by stewards or police on the way to the game, checking tickets, you know, to make sure that when they got to the turnstiles, those tickets were legitimate? And also, did you see anyone at all being turned away with what what was said to be fake tickets? I didn't hear or, or, or see, hear of or see anybody being um, turned away with what, you know, fake tickets if they're saying that there were thousands of fans with with fake tickets that i mean that, they have said thousands yeah they said thousands of fans the fake tickets thing to me sounds it sounds bogus it sounds it sounds like people trying to excuse their own behavior and it's it's, it's all very well saying that but what you know what where's the evidence for it I, I, I don't I'd never heard of anybody bragging about fake tickets or getting in with fake tickets or getting turned away with fake tickets so all I could say is that when I was queuing up at from half six local time again to probably half seven before finally giving up and and, and trying to get out another way there was I mean it was it didn't even seem like anybody's tickets were being expect, uh, um, inspected. It just felt like we were all being held. I think the other thing, I mean, I've just spoken to some of my mates that were there. and They said there was some issues with QR codes, as in the system not fully functioning, mm. which I think is an issue. I, I always look at, in these situations, when, in, when institutions and organisations put out these statements, what are they saying and why are they saying it? You know, I think initially, if you're being really kind to UEFA, you could say... You know, the late arrival of fans is, you know, it's something that just kind of holds off really everything that's going on. It wasn't, you know, we know now that wasn't true, but I can understand in that moment where you're sort of looking for a reason for the match being delayed, why why you kind of say that. It surprises me that two hours after the game, that story changes so dramatically to being it's all it's all about fake tickets. Now they'd have known two hours before if fake tickets were an issue. So why weren't they saying that at that stage? And, that, and then you start to think, why is the French government, the interior minister, the sports minister in the control room, so keen to pass this book? And and also the police as well. It, it just feels like something, you know, something we've seen a lot in Britain over the last few years as well. This, this, this instinct of something is happening that we didn't expect, therefore we need to panic and blame someone else rather than actually just putting our hands up and saying, look, we tried to organise it this way. We got it wrong. We'll learn from it. You know, we didn't mean to bottleneck a load of Liverpool fans and intend to cause the the, the damage and delay that we did. But we, we got it wrong. And there is just always this 
complete reluctance from people in public life to own anything or take any kind of responsibility. And I think what they probably thought, and look, there's going to be an investigation which Liverpool have called for, but my instinct is it feels a bit like they thought, well, if we just blame the fans, they won't have a voice, they won't be able to dispute it. In the end, people will all say, oh, well, it was a bit of this, it was a bit of that, and everyone will forget about it. And I think that's probably what what the French authorities are hoping for. And unfortunately, they're coming up against both a club and a fan base and reporters that are on the ground who are saying this is not what happened. And I think that's, you know, I think that's a really important thing because of these other events that have happened over the past year. Like this can't, this can't keep happening. And, you know, the final point is on France and Paris. France has an Olympic Games in 2024. The sports minister that was putting out these statements last night is also running the Olympic Games and Paralympic Games. And, you know, fan bases are very different for Olympic events. But I think there is probably a sense of, Paris needing to show that it's in control and it can stage major events without hitches going off. I think that's part of the show. I think that's also, you know, if you look at what Emmanuel Macron's been like as president, he is always a bit like that, trying to show everything's in control, everything's a bit better than it maybe really is. And I think all those factors have have kind of accumulated to leave us in the situation where we are today, where unfortunately a fan base that has been smeared for a very long time by an establishment in the UK now feels that it's happening again. Um, and thankfully this time, you know, the, the consequences aren't as severe, but next time we don't know whether that will be the case. Thanks so much to the Athletic Football Podcast for that. You can hear the full episode, including more discussion on the crowd trouble and the game itself on their feed. Before we go, your TV guide for today, all times are Eastern, and there's lots of Nations League in UEFA and CONCACAF, so I'll just choose basically two, three games to watch today. First in the Nations League at 2.45 p.m., Spain versus Portugal, obviously a headline matchup for all sorts of reasons. That is on Fox Sports 1. In the CONCACAF Nations League, probably the best game of those takes place at 7.30 p.m., Panama hosting Costa Rica. That is on Paramount Plus and Tuda NA. And just after that, at 10 p.m., Mexico plays a friendly against Uruguay. That is on Tuda NA. This show is produced by Mike Zimmerman with help from John Hayes. You can get ad-free versions of the show by subscribing to The Athletic, and you can subscribe for $1 a month for six months by going to theathletic.com slash soccer every day. Thank you so much for listening, and happy soccer to you all.